Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I know people that their lives are so screwed up. They know their lives are screwed up. They live in misery. They're always complaining about how messed up their life is, how miserable their life is. You tell them, well, hey, guess what? Jesus will help you. No, nope. I don't want to hear about Jesus. So they want to stay in their misery. This is what God is saying here. He said, you're against me. Your helper. I'm the one who can help you. I'm the one who can deliver you. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hosea chapters 8 through 14. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. And so he will not ultimately destroy them. That's his promise here. Now, down in verse 12, verse 2 says, the Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. And then he speaks of the nation, but he goes back to the man, Jacob, actually. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. This is all in Genesis, in case you're wondering about that. This is the story of Jacob, how He was the younger of the twins and he grasped the heel of Esau as they were being born. And so he was called, his name was Jacob, which means heel catcher. And so God is reminding them of their history. And then how as an adult, he struggled with God and uh, he wrestled with that angel. And there the Lord broke him and ended up blessing him. And so the angel of the Lord overcame him. He wept and he begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. So again, reminding them of their history and calling them back into that relationship. Now, Chapter 13 is once again a chapter that's emphasizing the judgment that's going to come. Verse 6, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. You know, the the Bible says, I think it's in, in Proverbs Give me neither poverty nor riches. For if I'm poor, I might steal and bring reproach to your name. But if I become rich, I might forget you. You know, that's a very real danger that a lot of times we don't think about. I can't tell you how many people have told me that they wanted to get rich so they could better serve the Lord, who ended up prospering 
and did not serve the Lord, but actually succumbed to the world once again. This happens over and over. This was, this was the problem in Israel. This was the problem with their kings. This was the problem with the kings of Judah. I mean, this is the story that such and such a king, he did marvelously until, until he succeeded. And then that was the beginning of the downfall. He trusted the Lord. He depended on the Lord. But then he had success. And then he trusted in his success. And then everything went south. And that, that's repeated over and over again. So that's what God is saying here about the nation. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Gosh, it's so easy to become prideful. It's so easy to somehow think that we are responsible for our success or we are responsible for whatever positions we might attain or something like that. Remember on Sunday, we were talking about knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I was just thinking about that reality. I've done, you know, times in my own life where I find myself because I know something and I'm talking authoritatively about what I know. And in the same time, I'm feeling like, man, I'm pretty smart here. You know, this is, <laughs> this is really good that I know this stuff. And all of a sudden I realized, man, I'm just, I'm prideful right, right this moment. And that's what happens. And so we cannot underestimate this. This, you know, these are patterns that are just repeated over and over and over with individuals, with communities, with nations, same pattern repeated over and over again. And so God help us to learn. They became proud and then they forgot me. Verse nine is an interesting verse. You are destroyed Israel because you are against me against your helper. Wow. You're against me. I mean, th picture this. God says, like, I, I want to help you. No. Stay away. I mean, how many people are like that with God? I know people that their lives are so screwed up. They know their lives are screwed up. They live in misery. They're always complaining about how messed up their life is, how miserable their life is. You tell them, well, hey, guess what? Jesus will help you. No, don't, don't want to hear about Jesus. So they want to stay in their misery. This is what God is saying here. He said, you're against me. Your helper, I'm the one who can help you. I'm the one who can deliver you. God help us. This is the, the human condition. Now, here we go again, coming down here with the judgments. But now verse 14 is really interesting. And verse 14, let me read it. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Now, in Hebrew, which I do not speak, but I do read English, and I've read many commentaries on this passage. Evidently, in Hebrew, this is a very complicated set of words here. And so I'm, I'm telling you that because depending on the translation you have, this passage is going to say different things. Some translations, I think the NASB is one of them, the New American Standard Bible. Uh, the NASB reads like this. 
I will not deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will not redeem them from death. So, you know, somehow in the Hebrew language, there's possibility that, could, that it could go one way or the other. But when you come to those kinds of situations where the Hebrew itself isn't really helping you, then you have to look at the context and say, okay, well, what is the context saying? Now, when you look at the context here, I mean, quite honestly, it seems like the NASB maybe got it right because look what it says before that. It says, pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. I will not deliver this people from the power of the grave. And it's going on talking about, you know, the the negative here. But then look at the next verse. I will have no compassion. So that's why the NASB, NASB translates it this way. But the Apostle Paul sees it differently in 1 Corinthians because Paul quotes this. And he quotes it in the positive sense of God declaring that he will have a victory over the grave. So, of course, Paul is a Hebrew scholar himself. He's drawing from the Hebrew text. He's probably drawing from the Greek text at that point as well. And he puts it in the positive. Now, I'm reading the NIV. The NIV translators are some of the best translators in the world. And they translated it this way. The NKJV, the New King James Version, is even a little bit different because it says... Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? The New King James says, O death, I will be your plague. O death, O grave, I will be your destruction. So this is a funny thing with the language. All of those are actual possible translations. But based upon Paul's understanding of it, I think it's the positive. So then it's one of those things where you've got this negative, this pronouncement of judgment, coming down, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of it, you have this word of hope. And that's consistent with what the prophets do. And that's consistent with what Hosea has been doing the whole time. So I believe that the NIV and uh, I think the NET and the CSB, I think they've all translated it this way. So what is the promise? I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, where, where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? And Paul applies this to the resurrection of Jesus. And you can say that in the resurrection of Jesus, it is absolutely certain that I will be your destruction, O grave, that the Lord himself is the one who destroyed death. So here's this great prophecy that is not only God's going to restore the people, but it's, it's a bigger word about death itself. It's like that passage in Isaiah 25 that speaks of this mountain that covers, it's a covering over all people, and it's a, it's a reference to death. And there again, God says he's going to swallow up death in victory. You know, this is an amazing thing about the Bible. You know, there's not a single religious book on earth that speaks like this about the future of death. I mean, the Bible sees death 
very clearly as an enemy, an enemy to be defeated. No other religious book sees death in that way. They glorify it in some way. They naturalize it. They take the sting out of it, really. But it's, it's funny because even though you find this in the various religions of the world, even though you find this in their literature, it never translates into human experience because when death comes, just like everybody else, those people are overwhelmed. I remember seeing this, um, it was some special, this is quite a few years ago, but it was, it was on this Hindu family and it took place, I think it was in India. And you know, Hinduism is one of those religions that doesn't see death as any kind of a major problem. You know, there's reincarnation, there's transmigration of the soul. There's all of these different things that are, are sort of, you know, their explanations for death. But the thing that shocked me was in this, special on, on this particular family, the patriarch of the family had died. And the lament, the inconsolable state of the people was astounding. And I remember thinking to myself like, wow, the reality of death. You can put some religious trappings over it. You can put some philosophical ornaments around it. But the fact of the matter is when it hits, it devastates. It's a real enemy. It is the real enemy. And that's how the Bible treats it. And the Bible says, God's going to destroy it. That's what he said here. And of course, he did destroy it. And we know exactly when that happened. It happened on the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. So chapter 14, now we come to, after all the pronouncements of the judgment that's going to come, chapter 14 is, again, God's promise to restore them. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all my sins and receive us, receive, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Wow. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Now, isn't it amazing that it is that simple? It is that simple. Say to him, forgive our sins. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. Salvation is such a, it's such a mystery. You know, it's one of those things that you're just like, gosh, how, you just, you can't really comprehend it. But when you, you, you see it worked out in lives, where you see a person who has gone from the path of destruction 
to the way of righteousness. And I mean, you know, sometimes you hear stories and you can't even connect the person telling you with the story or telling you the story with the person they're telling you about. And it's the same person. You're like, what? How, that couldn't be you. That's impossible. You did that? And this transformation is so astounding. And then, well, how did it happen? I just said, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> That's how it happened. I just took words and I went to the Lord and I said, forgive me. That's it. That is how salvation happens. That is how repentance happens. That is how those who have turned away turn back. Like the prophet says, take words and come to the Lord and say, forgive our sins. And he does. That is so amazing. And receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And that's what he does. He receives us graciously. And he takes our mess and he takes our broken lives and things that we've totally just messed up so badly and then he just begins to repair them. And there's nothing more wonderful than to be able to observe that. Of course, experiencing it is the most wonderful. But to, but to be able to watch it and I just thank God for you know, all the years of pastoring, I've just seen it over and over and over and over and it never ceases to amaze me, and I never get tired of hearing people's stories. I can just read testimony books all day long because it's just like God's so amazingly creative. It's, it's so, just the stuff he does. It's so beautiful. So Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made for in you the fatherless find compassion. Here God speaks, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots, his young shoots will grow, his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper, your Fruitfulness comes from me. You know, here's something I want to say. You need to know this. God is always ready to restore. He's always ready to take us back. You know, what parent would turn away a child? I mean, you know, think of the prodigal son story, right? You think of the son who goes off and he wastes his inheritance and... You know, living unrighteously and all of this. And when he decides to go home, he anticipates a cold reception 
at minimum. He just says, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna offer myself as a slave to my father because my father's slaves, have, it's way better off for them than it is for me. So in his mind, he's gonna go back and he's gonna be received back as a slave. But when he goes back, what happens? His, his father is waiting for him. He's waiting for him with a robe, with a ring, with a party. I mean, that, Jesus is telling us something here. And I'm saying this because of this. Listen, there is a devil. And the devil will, first of all, try to convince you that you can't come back. And if he can do that, he will persist in that. But if he can't convince you that you can't come back, he will then try to convince you that you have to just be a servant. You have to be a slave. In other words, you can never come back and expect the blessing of God on your life because after all, you just mess things up way too bad. So you can come back and you can kind of be there and you know, yeah, you're saved. And when it's all said and done, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll make it to heaven. But don't expect any blessing from God in the future because, you know, and especially, this is especially true when somebody backslides. Because when you backslide, you know, the devil's just got everything. He's got all the goods. And he can just remind you over and over and over again of you did this and you knew that that was wrong and you willfully sinned against God. And so again, if he can keep you from coming, he will. But if he can't, he'll try to convince you that you'll be at best a second-class citizen in the kingdom. And that is just absolutely a lie. So don't believe it. And that's what, that's what this picture in Hosea is telling us. This is what God is saying. That he is going to heal their waywardness and love them freely. Wow. Lavish his love. And many of us in this room, we know this. And thank God for his grace. You know, sometimes people have said, yeah, but you know, I really sinned. Yes, you did. But Jesus died for real sins, not for, not for fake ones, not for petty sins. He died for those too, but he died for all sins. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So who is wise? Let them realize this. Let's walk in the wisdom of these great truths. join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is almost Christmas. And of course, this is a time of year when everybody is aware of this holiday. They're hearing Christmas music as they're out shopping, and yet not everyone knows what Christmas is truly all about. So, we have a great offer for you for this month. 
It's a small book, and it's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an excellent writer and has so many good things to say here. Really a great little book to give to a friend, a neighbor, a family member at this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick up your copy of Is Christmas Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book, It's Christmas Unbelievable, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series with the book of Joel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.